Hello, my name is Sarah and this is The Suplex. lovely lovely weather that we are having at the moment uk is in a heat wave roll on the heat i wish i had an air conditioning unit though at this moment in time as i mentioned to you before in the past of um this podcast we like to interview various people across wrestling in this country to find out what makes them tick and today is no exception i am interviewing paul benson now paul might not be a name that not everybody has heard of but he runs Hooked on Wrestling. Now, they bring some of the best viewing parties to the UK and also runs the hookedonwrestling.co.uk news website, which is a very good source for wrestling news, I must add. Um, also, in his past, he has had dealings with Impact Wrestling, formerly known as TNA Wrestling in their heyday, and getting them on the TV across the world, which, as you can imagine, is a slightly different way of being involved in the wrestling business. So I thought I'd let you guys listen to his story and pick his brains about how he became a fan and then got into the business. I hope you're all enjoying the weather. If you're not, it will break. Don't worry, guys. Sit back, relax, grab your cup of tea, iced tea, a beer, whatever you are drinking, and enjoy this edition of the Suplex Podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Suplex Podcast. I am here with a slightly different guest this evening. He is the man behind Hooked on Wrestling, Mr. Showbiz, Paul Benson. Mr. Benson, how are you, my dear? I'm very well. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you very much for having me. Hello, everybody. I'm. Uh, it's a long time since I've been a guest on somebody else's podcast, so I'm all I'm I'm half honoured and half excited, and then I suppose a little bit nervous as well. But I'm sure you'll be gentle, won't you? I'll try to be. I'll try to be. No promises. <laughs> no guarantees here. No guarantees. Well, true. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool that's all cool so paul i will ask the age-old question that everybody who comes on this podcast asks how did you get into this wonderful world of wrestling that's real as a fan as a fan Initially, Not as a fan that naturally goes into into the other realms of the business shall we say so how did you become gotcha. a fan of wrestling well the fan part is really simple and i remember it like it was yesterday uh, in fact it was 30 years ago I was at my friend Gary's house back home in Grimsby and Gary's older brother, while we were playing with our Thundercats and our Transformers and whatever else, happened to be watching SummerSlam 91. And most, you know, I was kind of half paying attention as the matches went on. And then suddenly the Legion of Doom came on the screen. And I would say at that minute, I became a wrestling fan. They just looked like the most unbelievable sort of larger than life characters. And I was glued to the screen the whole time. And um, obviously they won that match, which is great. And that was me done. I was a fa- I was an avid fan. And you know, like I say, 30 years later, that's not wavered. Did you sort of go completely like head first into wrestling after that? And like, and also back then, how did you get, get your hands on wrestling at that time? <laughs> because like, no. People like take it for granted now. I just I fancy watching some wrestling. I just go onto YouTube or various other streaming services and be able to get it to my heart's desire. But 
back in the day. Yeah, the, like... <laughs> they were look, the lucky buggers. No, I didn't actually. So I, my parents had split up um, at that time, which I find is a common theme amongst wrestling fans of a certain age. Um, and I, let me, let me get this right. So I was looked longingly at the VHSs in, uh, in WH Smith, never been able to get one. And then every now and again, my mum's boyfriend had tape superstars or whatever off sky. I think that might've been a bit later, but anyway, the next show I watched, I watched a recording of Royal Rumble 92. That was the less, that, the next big show I watched. And that was the only one I've, the first one I've watched from start to finish and sat down and watched it properly. Obviously loved it. Then came WrestleMania. Then came, well, then came SummerSlam 92 at Wembley, mm. which I was lucky enough to be at. Like, the story there is my dad was meant to buy me a VHS from WH Smith, forgot. And back then they only had one copy of everything, doesn't it? It wasn't mm. all on demand and get it off Amazon or whatever. So I was heartbroken and he asked how I could, how he could make it up to me. And I said, you can take me to SummerSlam, dad. And well, well, you remember back then, you know, it, it sounds ridiculous, but the tickets, you know, VHS would take you back. 15 16 pounds mm. and the cheapest tickets to SummerSlam and believe you me we had the cheapest tickets to SummerSlam they were only about the same so like in actual fact it was the cost equivalent of less than two WWF pay-per-views on VHS mm. to go to SummerSlam so what felt like this well didn't feel like it was this you know really key pivotal moment in my childhood the key pivotal moment in my childhood cost me dad 28 quid so <laughs> he got a good deal out of that, I think so. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so obviously that was that. And then from that moment on, I really missed the thing, be it Wrestling Challenge or Monday Night Raw or WF Mania or whatever. And I made friends that were wrestling fans. Um, you start to read the magazines and it just became all consuming. You know, it literally became, you know, what I was defined by really, as I'm sure... Uh, we've never talked about this, Sarah, but I suspect mm. it would have been the same for you as a child and Chris and many of our friends where when you become a wrestling fan, it's it's a bit of a dirty little secret, isn't it, back in the day? Yeah. And you kind of look out for those fellow fans and try to side-eye one that might be in the tribe. But apart from that, you don't talk about it. So because of that dirty little secret, it becomes the biggest thing in your life. And I think it, it brews within you more like, you know, everyone's a football fan. It doesn't mm. feel special. But being a wrestling fan back in the 90s felt really special. And so it just grew and grew and grew. And then when you get a chance to speak to someone who was a fan as well, dumped it all out. So um, I think there was a lot to be said for it being a secret, almost a secret society and a bit of a source of mockery, wasn't it? Like, you know, most kids in school, I'm sure your school was the same, found out you were a wrestling fan, would just take the piss. Mm. So it became a bit of a defense mechanism as well. and yeah, I think that there's a very specific sort of set of circumstances that make someone a wrestling fan. And I, I won't go into the, the boring ins and outs of it now, but I think there's a there's a real profile um, of of what makes what makes a fan at a young age. And most people I know fit into that profile in some mm-hmm. form or fashion. Um, and it, and you never you know people go dormant on their wrestling fandom, but they never stop being a wrestling fan. I don't oh, think. 100%. You can, you ne- it's like Terry Funk, God bless him. Like I know what he's going through at the moment, but Terry Funk would still never retire from wrestling. Bless him. I can still, if, 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 if things allow it, I could still see him making an appearance at some 
indie. Hell yeah. So he, he never, no one ever retires from this business. No one ever stops becoming a wrestling fan. You become closet. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's definitely a thing. Um, like it's quite funny. You mentioned about like my, um, you know, what you're saying about like, cause I, I it's quite interesting cause I was too young for, for um, SummerSlam because I, could, right. I was too young to go, but I can remember it happening because my one memory of it was obviously now we've seen it and blah, 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 was Burger King released these stamps. And I ended up going to Burger King for a kid's meal at some point at that time. And I got a stamp of either the British Bulldog or the Ultimate Warrior. And it literally was this little figurine of them. And it was a little stamp underneath it. Oh, I know the ones you mean. The yeah. little t- yeah, the little mini statues. Yes. I, I don't remember those specifically, but I know exactly what you do mean. Yeah, I've had He-Man ones and all sorts of mm. stuff. Yeah. But I had- can't remember those at all. Yeah, but uh, that was the big thing. That was the one memory from that era that I can remember of, of wrestling. And then I didn't have Sky or nothing like that until I got a bit older. No. Um, and then my cousins came over for it was a family event um, when the corporation happened and the corporate oh, yeah. ministry was happening in the ministry so it was that sort of crossover it was definitely was being sacrificed and all, all of that and i i watched it then and i was hooked and that was i can imagine it. my cousins yeah. they were into it and they said oh come watch this with us and then my younger cousins but i watched it and that was it hooked beyond that i went to ireland i was pedigreeing my cousins on beds and christ knows <laughs> you know <laughs> You haven't pedigreed your, but, your brother it. or your cousin or whatever. You, you're ain't a wrestling fan. Let's be frankly honest. Mate, you really, hey, look, some of the stuff we used to do now, I'd be horrified if my son and his friends did. I, I tombstoned a guy on the playground once. And, you know, only by pure blind luck did it not go completely wrong. Like, it's just ridiculous. But, you know, I'd like to think that the children now are more sensible than we were in a lot of, in all sorts of different ways. Um, but yeah, it was yeah, the mid nineties for me was when I really started. We got Sky in about ninety four when my mum married a guy who had Sky, so I approved of him straight away. And then <laughs> in about in about in about ninety six, I think it was about early ninety six. Um, in Grimsby, it was called Diamond Cable, but it had different names all throughout the country, and it's cable essentially rather than Sky. And what that allowed you to do, if you you might be too young to remember this, Sarah, but when cable came into the UK. It allowed you to have boxes all around the house. Yep. Where you weren't watching the same thing as in the yes. lounge. Yep. Now, I had the same. I had for the same. A, for a 14-year-old boy, that was key. Football, <laughs> wrestling, and the 15-minute preview. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly sig- what you're talking about. <laughs> a, a significant turning point in young Paul Benson's life in all sorts of different ways. How, um, how your missus is up with you, I do not know. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, she didn't have to put with me when I was 14, otherwise I don't think she would. Um, <laughs> but no, and that was it. Then obviously at that point, I could watch wrestling to my heart's content. And mm-hmm. that um, coincided roughly with pay-per-views being broadcast live for the first time. I think it was about late 96 that that happened. Mm. And by then the internet's around um, and it's just my, like I said earlier, my all consuming passion. And and I think you're a little bit younger than me. So mm-hmm. it's interesting that you came into it that little bit later, but I firmly believe that I'm right in that sweet spot for making a lifelong wrestling fan. I think mm. wrestling's always been 
uh, or you know, not now, unless not now, but to a certain point through the formative years, I, it was always aimed at exactly the age I was. Like I was when it was all cartoony in the early, early 90s, that was the age I was. You talked about 1999, I was 17. Mm-hmm. Look at all the stuff that went on in 1999, Actually, yeah. it mm. was totally if they were still doing the cartoony stuff, I'd have turned off, yeah. Um, as would millions of others, and it was just just that sweet spot so that kept me going all through college and university and then when you get to university you shed those well you stop caring what people think about you don't you and your own person you find yourself so i didn't give a monkeys at that point whether anyone knew i was a wrestling fan or not and lo and behold loads of other people were wrestling fans so that if you if you'd have carried on not talking about it would have never found out and that was you know then we started going to shows having viewing parties around people's houses funny mm. how those things work out isn't it <laughs> um and uh and yeah that was it i I, ne- I never lost my passion because look i was lucky enough as i got into adulthood to sort of start working on the fringes of the wrestling industry which you know that cemented it even further for me so tell us how you managed to get into that you mentioned there after the post uni sort of got into the fringes of the uh, wrestling industry now a lot of people who've been on this podcast have been referees and uh wrestlers or dinas because he is a special category all on his own <laughs> Bless an, an AS, yeah. he's an as <laughs> however <sighs> how, like and obviously my journey's in in the sense of photography what was your journey um i was on the dirty side of things really i was on the commercial side so i was um i was working in brighton for a TV company. And what I what my role was briefly was uh if a TV company made a program for the UK, like the biggest one we did was a place in the sun, which most people mm-hmm. would have heard of. Um, that'd be made for the UK broadcaster, channel four in that case. And then we would take the rights to that program, and we would sell that to countries around the world. Um, you know, we'd I'd sell the rights to broadcast place of place in the sun to the Middle East or Singapore or whoever. Um, so I was getting finding my way. Um in, in that sphere. And it would have been 2008, I believe. Yeah, 2008. I noticed that TNA was sort of starting to make a few more waves. So I I reached out to them, uh, basically to try and pitch them for our company to take on their international broadcasting rights. Because I didn't see, I, I made the assumption that they didn't have a great global footprint. It was, it was a fair assumption as it happens. So I got a very nice letter back from TNA or an email back saying thank you, but we're already represented by a company called RDA Television in London, mm-hmm. copied the managing director of uh, RDA in, uh, who invited me up to London for a chat, which I later found out was an interview. And he gave me the job um, in his agency as head of sales, working on you know the international broadcast for TNA, for USC, which was obviously still in its infancy back then. It's not the absolute beast that it is now. Um, and Real Madrid in house television as well. So that was it. Then I was, I was in, um, to, to a degree, not in the same way that you or Chris or AS or indeed any of the workers and, and promoters were in the UK, but on a very different side of it. And it was great because I was, I was, you know, helping shape the commercial ventures of, of a company. You know, what the work we did was, was fundamental, to keeping that company going. Uh, obviously, people know the ins and outs of TNA and there's a, there's, a, there's some truth, there's some rumour, there's some outright lies. Um, but the fact of the matter is we were bringing in multi-millions a year, which, which you know, 
it made a huge difference. They were, we were an important part of that of that team. And uh, yeah, it was great. You know, got to meet my heroes. <laughs> First day in the job stood next to Kurt Angle, um, which is a bit of a bit of a mind mind fuck. <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Um, and 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 went from there. So uh, yeah, that was. And then that lasted until about 2015 when I had to give that up for family reasons. But obviously, given what happened to TNA after that, the timing was good. Mm-hmm. Um, they they're not what they were. They're still a, they're still a great fun watch. But in terms of a, a valuable international TV property, it's it's not remotely the same. Sadly, what do you feel went wrong that you feel that you can share? <laughs> That's a big question. How long have we got? Hey, um, uh, there's no limit on me. So you crack on some. Let's <laughs> let's let's tell you. Let let me start by saying what I think went right. Um, mm. because it's from because it's from I had a very different perspective on it to the average fan. And I don't mean to sound that boastfully, but the the moment the moment that strikes me as the as the biggest sort of um clash between between sort of opinions was when Hulk Hogan signed. Okay. Now Obviously, Hulk Hogan signed in 2009 and the fan reaction was groans, primarily. He's going to take up this budget. He's going to take so-and-so's spot. He's going to do this, he's going to do that. And as an on-screen product, a lot of that was true. You know, it was, you know, the program was based around him far more than it should have been. And ultimately, that is probably a lot of what led to the demise. But what it also did is when I'm going to these international TV conferences, what, what we used to do, like a couple of times a year, we'd go and we'd go to, you know, wherever it might be, South of France or wherever. I'm trying not to sound like a complete big head, but <laughs> there were quite nice locations. But the point is we'd go and meet all these international buyers. So all the TV channels, all the, the buying arms from all these TV channels would come in to, to these conferences and you'd meet them and pitch your stuff. Now, pre-Hogan, I'm there giving it my TNA pitch. And obviously I'm, I'm very passionate about the brand. So when you're passionate about anything in sales, it's so much easier to get your message across and to, to sell it. But it was blank faces. Like, you know, people knew it was wrestling. People know it wasn't WWE, who, mm. by the way, were at these conferences. WWE had these gigantic stands, you know, with videos blaring and giveaways and everything else. I was there with my laptop and my cards and my hustle. Um, it was blank faces and it, you know, I'd get some deals. It was, you know, it, there was a, you know, there was interest from certain markets, but then when Hogan signed, it was, it changed everything because I was able to go to these meetings and flop down my pitch deck with Hulk Hogan's picture on the cover and every single person knew who that was. So immediately you've got their attention and that changed things from a, from a broadcasting perspective. It genuinely did. It opened a lot of doors for TNA to get into a lot of markets that just weren't open to it. And and us wrestling fans, and I include me and you in this, I think we're always guilty of trying to overthink things. Like there's always a drama that we want to place on every little happening that goes on in the wrestling business. Why is this not happening? Well, it must be because there's a relationship breakdown, blah, 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 blah. We want to make dramas out of everything. But the simple fact is we couldn't get into these markets because one person, or two people, you know, there might be two different stations that were suitable for it in one country, but usually there was just the one that would be a fit. Wasn't into wrestling. Didn't know who it was. Didn't have time to take a meeting with me. You know, simple as that. It was really basic. But then, like I say, when I'm throwing Hulk Hogan's name out there and later, you know, inviting them to dinner in London around the shows with Hulk Hogan, changes everything. Um, So, But 
in answer, so that made it that to me that took TNA to the next level um, in terms of profile and branding. But like I say, I think it's what ultimately led to its demise because it's all well and good, you know, signing these deals and having these executive powerhouses and stuff like that. But if the product on screen is crap, then fan interest will wane, and these broadcasts, and therefore these the interest from these broadcasters will wane. And I think it just became too diluted with. With, with you know with with the aura of Hogan and his friends and I think that was the beginning of the end like there were some great moments within there like the rise of Bully Ray and the aces and eights was all excellent stuff and you you were at Wembley for those amazing nights for those TV yeah. tapings and it truly felt like a happening it really really felt like this was a, a magical brand but slowly but surely those names went away and they just didn't really get replaced it felt like there was you know not really a desire to spend any money. The AJ Styles contract negotiation was, I, I won't go into this in great, great detail, but essentially when his contract was up in 2013, mm-hmm. just before he went to New Japan, he was up for staying. You know, I, was, I wasn't I was part of the negotiations, but I was seeing, you know, I was, I was you know, through friends, I was kept across them. Um, and they made him some awful low ball offer ridiculously insulting that you couldn't accept, you know, even if he wanted to stay, it was so insulting, could not accept. So maybe that was the idea. Maybe they wanted him out. But I think when Styles left, it was a bit like the Ravens leaving the Tower of London mm. because he was, he was the guy that TNA fans sort of could look towards as one of their own. And if he's deserting a stinking ship, then it's time for them to as well. Yeah. And I don't think it ever, I don't think it ever recovered from there. And like I say, I, I I'm full of admiration for what they've done now, but what is Impact Wrestling now is is shares only a corporate lineage with TNA. It's heyday. There's, you know, in terms of what that brand is, there is absolutely no correlation whatsoever. Yeah, no, I, I have to agree with you on that. It's it's a shame because, as you said, like I I was there. I've been there at Wembley. I've been there at um at, at Nottingham. I've been ringside at Nottingham, and I okay. Nice big check off the bucket list. I managed to take ringside photos of Hulk Hogan, who was opposite the ring. Of there Sting. you go. You know what I mean? Like, boom. Wow. Tick, tick. You know, done. Yeah. Uh, job done. Okay, like, okay, I've got Triple H on that list. And, and you know, it's, it's, that's the last one on the list now, but pretty much I'm there. You know, but <laughs> hey, look, I've done a Carter, AJ Styles, um, Nakamura, and a few others. So I'm the, the list is quite, and Ric Flair, Ric Flair at London. So, and you can die happy on that one, can't you? Let's be honest. I was going to say, I'll sweep those names up a bit later, but um, (laughs) you get what I mean. Like that was a moment, like the end of the day, but the the thing I have, it breaks my heart in a way that way impact was and those tours that that they did in the UK and Ireland and the, the way it was backstage and it was fun. And like, you know, I've made some really good friendships over like backstage and talent from those tours to what it is today, it is a name sharing exercise. And unfortunately here, some of the people who worked for the company around the time, speaking of how it went so downhill and like, cause you know, you were saying with what AJ, AJ was um, saying with, with the contract, that's not the first talent I've heard say very similar things about, contract offers around that time so it's such mm. a shame it is such a shame it is it is and like let's like say i'm a fan of what they do now like yeah. 
it's you know slammiversary by the way on the week as we record this it's that it's tomorrow isn't it but <laughs> and it looks good fun but it's and i enjoy immensely watching the product but it's not it's not a part of the conversation anymore in the same way that it was you know obviously aw has stepped into the breach um is it bigger than tna was in its heyday i don't think it was i don't think it is actually um but what i do think it is is more sustainable i think they're they're building a brand that will the last the test of time and organically grow whereas i always feel looking back obviously you don't you don't see it at the time and it's hard to know what's going on at the time but it was never really built on anything apart from a house of cards mm, because it was always just the it was always going to the next thing and the next big thing and the next thing and all these speeches about how we need to go what, what did Dixie Carter you say on a regular level taking things to the next level or mm. or whatever it was I can't remember there was a famous phrase she used to use um I can't remember but it was never it was never really about laying the foundations so it was it was never going to survive in that form but um but it was some great memories for us all eh? absolutely mm. tremendous memories and then Obviously, when that ended, it was when sort of, you know there was a bit of a crossover, but hooked on wrestling kind of scratched the itch after that. So I've never really truly been out. I've always kept, I've always <laughs> kept my position on the sidelines. <laughs> so before we go on to hooked on wrestling, which obviously we are very grateful <laughs> to be a part of the uh, wonderful melee of podcasts that the uh, brand has, is name me one of your favourite stories that you can remember and are able to repeat on a podcast from your time with RDA slash uh, impact. Mate, there is, there is only one story and you know what this story is going to be as does anyone who has even spent 10 minutes in my company will know. It's my, my, my two nights on the lash with Ric Flair. <laughs> so, well, it's more that. So basically we had, we had a, a, a session in London for a couple of nights in his hotel uh, bar the man is everything that you hear about Ric Flair. It's all true, right? He, he's a really great, you know, when you catch him in the right mood, he's a wonderful guy. Then he's there showing off to us, getting his phone out. Shall I ring Chris Jericho? Shall I ring Rowdy Roddy Piper? Bring more red, red wine. Shall I ring Charles Barkley? I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> this is crazy. That was great in London. But, you know, what was really, really good was a few months later, um, it was the TNA tour, probably six months after I first met him. And I went over to Paris for the um for the french show and he was he was managing by that point rather than mm. wrestling and the last match before the intermission he was managing beer money against british invasion magnus and our friend doug williams and that finished and i was on my blackberry i was working you know i was busy like looking after the french broadcasters so i wasn't there on a jolly but it was starting to wind down and i was in catering uh, as the second half of the show started and uh i'm sat on my own rick flair comes up two bottles of beer places in front of us how you doing paul and then we just sat for an hour talking about wrestling Brilliant. just me and rick flair That's just absolutely- ab- just the most casual conversation you could you could possibly ever imagine um and then back to the hotel we carried on in a bar with a big party and then the best thing was the next two days later in wembley he comes to me at ringside before the show, Paul, my phone's not working. And I'm like, oh God, 
I'm going to have to fix this, aren't I? Because I don't want like a clown in front of Ric Flair. <laughs> He's like, my phone's on. Anyway, I managed to fit. I managed to work out what was wrong with his phone. He's like, put my number in your phone. Put my number in your phone. I'm like, that's not a good idea, Rick. That really is not a good idea. So anyway, I had his number, but I had to delete it after a couple of months because I kept drunkenly texting him when I was showing off in front of friends. Not cool, not professional, not in any way uh, a, a good story, but it, I, I, yeah, I just couldn't help myself. So I deleted that number <laughs> just to be on the safe side, which is a shame. But yeah, that, that hour with Rick in Paris was one of the best hours of my entire life. Yeah, so awesome. My wife didn't listen to this, does she? No. Thank God. <laughs> I won't send her the link. Don't worry. <laughs> is it, I have to say, it's better than, it's better than how Chris uh, met Rick Flair. And he didn't, he failed to mention this one on the podcast last week. I don't know why he did. He met him come out of the toilets <laughs> at one PW of all places. Excellent. So he went, Hi, I'm Rick Flair. And he went, Oh, hello, I'm Chris. If you don't mind, I won't shake your hand right now because I think there was a <laughs> crossing of paths or something. I don't know which way, but I remember it was something like that. And I was like, bless him. I was like, oh, Amazing. he shook his hand, but no, not appropriate. <laughs> no, you don't want Ric Flair's piss-covered hand. That's There sure. you go. <laughs> oh, you don't bless. know where that's been. You don't know where that's been. Definitely not. But um, moving away from Impact, and now moving yep. on to, as you mentioned, viewing parties. Now, I've, I, you know, I didn't have loads of people who were wrestling friends around me when I was growing up, but when I did, pay-per-view parties, as in even just going around, big, all the Pizza Hut or Domino's and get everything and just gorging and watching wrestling and having a good time, always fun. You mentioned you were doing that when you were a little bit younger, and that's now evolved into what, Hooked on events or hooked on wrestling became. Tell the people, well, they should know about this because they're going to probably be listening via the website. Tell people who don't know about hooked on wrestling what it's all about. Well, essentially, we are a wrestling fan community, and specifically, we organize viewing parties for WWE and AEW and New Japan pay per view events, the biggest ones um, on the calendar. It's something that I always felt it was a massive gap. You know, if you're a football fan, I, I mentioned football fans earlier, but you can go to the pub any given night of the week and there's going to be a dozen football fans in there, isn't it, that you can share the experience with. And as we've seen just recently with Euro 2020, and as we've been so starved of in the last 18 months, there is nothing like a shared experience in anything. And wrestling fans didn't have this on mass. You, you know, you you talked about the like pay-per-view parties you had at your house and same at mine with maybe half a dozen guys, 10 at the most on the very, very biggest of occasions. But I really wanted to do, to bring the wrestling fan community together. And and we did that starting in Royal Rumble 2013. We, we put on a party for that. We had about 70 people there in West London and it went down incredibly well. Like, it was really well received. Re- you know, yeah, look, you don't need to tell, you don't need me to tell you how fun and, uh, nice and positive a wrestling crowd is. Um, I worked out the other day, we've had about 28,000 people through the door um, wow. over the time. And we've probably kicked out less than 10 people for bad behavior over that town. I'd say that's a pretty bloody good ratio. Mm. Um, but anyway, so you started there and it got bigger and bigger. And we moved to bigger bars and we started doing things around the country. And 
and it took off. Like people really enjoyed what we were doing. We really enjoyed what we were doing. Felt it was a really positive experience to get people. You know, a lot of people, frankly, who come to our events wouldn't necessarily go to a bar on a regular basis um, for for whatever reason. Certainly wouldn't get a chance to be around so many wrestling fans. And and it's so great being able to see people just be themselves. Mm-hmm. Like you and I have, you know, just me and you, we've dressed in the most ridiculous costumes, haven't we, for these events that we wouldn't dream of going out in, you know, public in inverted <laughs> commas, um, um, dressed, dressed in wrestling cosplay. But it's just the opportunity for people to absolutely wallow in being wrestling fans and know they're in a completely shared experience and just throw themselves into it. And that sounds really sort of wanky, but it's true. Like that's, that is the big buzz for me. You know, anyone go out and get drunk. We can all watch wrestling on the WWE network. We pay our tenner every month and we can watch it at home with a few beers, but nothing, nothing beats the experience of watching it. You know, some people will have seen the, some of the videos from our events, the most sort of, you know, some of, some of the big pops over the years have gone viral when Roman Reigns came into the rumble. That was a fairly negative reaction, but got a lot of publicity. And then most recently when Drew won the Royal Rumble and the crowd, the six or 700 people in walkabout Glasgow nearly tore, tore down the uh, walls, which uh, then made its way into a WWE documentary about Drew McIntyre, which was pretty pretty bonkers <laughs> really um, never saw that one coming um but yeah and and obviously we're back now after a long absence you know over an 18 month absence due to the uh, the sodding pandemic but we're back with SummerSlam in August and the demand has been just amazing like it's so heartwarming to see everyone so excited and you know it's not across the board you know some people are still a little bit edgy about coming out into crowds right now and I can completely understand that uh, whereas other people are chomping at the bit to, to mm. get out there. But, you know, um, and I think each to their own. My, my, I myself can't wait to get out. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be a big moment. It's going to be a really, I think, you know, it'll be an emotional moment for certainly for me and the rest of the team. Um, and I think, to be honest, it'd be quite emotional for some of the some of our regulars as well. There'll, there'll be friends that they won't have seen for two years. Mm. Um, in some cases, might not have seen any social um occasions for two years i think you know there's gonna be some very sore heads on the sunday morning let's put it that way after i think a lot of people will be very glad it's a saturday rather than a sunday this time mm, definitely definitely um, i will say something about because obviously i've been to a few parties over the years and you know done my thing and whatever but i've been to comic cons and i know how it can be with cosplay and comic cons and i've been a wrestling fan at a com- comic con and Sorry, guys, who you do venture into comic cons. I felt normal, and I've said this very openly. I feel like uh-huh. I'm normal at a, at a uh, comic con versus some, some, not all, some people who attend. The thing I feel, though, in a general space, and I do feel this in particular when I do go to a hooked on party, um, and anyone who does maybe feel a bit nervous about going to parties in general, like, mm, am I never going to meet anyone? Is, like, is it all a bit weird? One, Loads of friendly people there. Two, we're all there for the same thing, to watch wrestling. We'll cheer and boo and whatever together. And it's one of the safest spaces I've probably been in. Like, think of it. You've yeah. been, you go to the last one I went to uh, with you, the London one at Shoreditch. How many people do you say were there at that night? Oh, uh, 300. 300. So 
I'm a female in a room pretty much on my own because other half was at another party. It's another story for another day. Um, I had the guys and girls around me, but I was technically on my own as a woman attending on my own at those parties. Yep. I did not feel threatened at any way, shape or form at any time at that party. Nope. So if you don't feel, feel a bit weird going on your own and not meeting people, come along. You'll have a great time and you'll feel safe. And there'll be people there to look after you. And the golden rule, like it should be and everything, is people don't be dicks. You know, they won't be dicks. And just don't be a dick. <laughs> you know, you'll have a good yeah, time. That's that's exactly it. And it's amazing how many people come. You know, you'll see them. You see the same faces. Mm. They'll buy a ticket and come on their own the first time. And then they'll come again another time. And then from every other party they come to, they've got their own group. Yeah. You know, they, like, these little, like, it's like one direction on the X Factor. They all come together as solo hooked on us and then you know they're making friends as they go and they're making little social groups that extend way beyond these parties and i've seen this i've seen these on our social media communities i've seen this you know at the events itself it's it's amazing to see these people who've once upon a time emailed and gone do you think it's okay if i come on my own will it be weird will it be okay and i've said absolutely bring it on just come on there'll be loads of you know loads of friendly faces and then you say the next time they're all in this little group this little posse that they've got going on and that is the best. Like, you know, just connecting wrestling fans. And for me personally, that's been the absolute best thing about these but uh, about these events. And getting to meet and work with a lot of you guys as well has been amazing. But connecting those people, the wider community on a really sort of casual social basis has been just the best. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, even though you have to uh, ensure that my arch nemesis, Rob McNichol, has to keep Turning up at these parties, how dare he! <laughs> God damn you, McNichol! <laughs> oh, McNichol, McNichol, definitely my right hand man in terms of the live events. He's been with us since right from day one, and uh, I do find it hilarious the the the, the massive. I was going to say banter, but it goes extends way beyond banter. Abuse that you guys give each other on a regular basis. <laughs> I don't know anybody else who's allowed to talk to you like that, Sarah. So clearly, clearly you're good, better friends with Rob than you let on because I don't <laughs> think you let anybody talk to you the way that he does if you weren't good friends. Hey, look, he got upset because I told him to fuck off. There you go. Like, it's literally simple as that. <laughs> I was the one crying, okay? Like, that was him, you know? <laughs> nah, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Other than the parties though, which have been awesome, obviously we've got the wicked website, which we'll go into um in in the site uh, in a few moments' time. But you've also done speaking tours, is the best way I can describe them. And obviously people won't be able to see this, but I am wearing the most awesome of shirts from one of the last tours that we one of the last tours that um happened, which was the Bruce Pritchard something to wrestle with tour. Which I, it was about four years ago, I think we were saying. But to the oh, day, yeah, to the day. Oh my god, that was some of the most fun times. And Bruce is an absolute legend. Do you feel that there is still a gap in the market for these sort of tours? And is this something that Hook Tom would like to continue when the world opens ooh, up? Oh, putting me on the spot there, Sarah. Um, it was, by the way amazing like absolutely amazing to do that tour with and again the best thing about that was the fact that we were just traveling around with friends like you and chris and dean and steve and rob that first tour when we did it all as a team was just absolutely tremendous um 
didn't make any bloody money, but you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, it was it was it was more treasured memories forever, and that that's far more important. Um, do I think there is a gap in the market? No, I do not actually. I think that inside the ropes have got it really well sewn up with the biggest names. They make financial commitments that I just wouldn't be willing to make to these guys because obviously, you know, the wrestlers themselves smell blood. They smell money on these things now. So the price is extraordinary, frankly. And and inside the ropes, we've got the setup and the infrastructure to monetize that. You know, they can really make it work beyond just the ticket sales and the VIP sales and whatever else. I can't do that. And frankly, they do a better job than I do. So no, I, in all honesty, I don't see myself doing another one of those. I think it's saturated as well. I, I think the pandemic's come at a good time in a way um, because it was getting a bit crazy, you know, like Bret Hart was coming over for like his eighth tour. You know, there was, there were guys, it, it really felt like you were really sort of going to the well again, inside the roots got the ropes, got the undertaker, which was amazing, but it really feels like you had to keep topping yourself and topping mm. yourself. And where do you go from there? You know, triple H Vince McMahon, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock. It's like you can only do Chris Jericho so many times. Um, and I think Bruce was a really interesting, unique circumstance. I heard his podcast and I think I got in there before anybody else, frankly. Mm. I just thought that's going to make for a great tour. Initially, I wanted him and Conrad to come over, but Conrad is expensive, even was expensive back then because he doesn't need the money mm-hmm. and he, he he wants to spend the time in his business. And this was before he had 10,000 podcasts to put out a week. Um, so we got Bruce and it was incredible. It was a great show. Like you guys were unbelievable. It was just such a great crew to work with, um, from down from Rob hosting all the way through to all the people that are helping us in individual venues. Cause you remember we had a few sort of guest team members for each, yeah. each location. And then there was that core team of you, me, Steve, Chris, my brother, just one of the most fun times ever. Bruce was a doll, an absolute gem. Um, we really sort of made things easy, no diva-like behavior at all. And I think the people that came out got an absolutely brilliant show. So I think I think we did a good thing, didn't we? We did a good thing. Um, the T-shirt is incredible. It's still one of my favorite designs. I think it's just a brilliant, a brilliant piece of graphic design. Um, and yeah, it, again, memories, memories that will last forever. Definitely, 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 definitely. Um so now I'm going to spin on to the Hooked On site and we'll talk about the pandemic. Yeah. It was a bit shit, weren't it? <laughs> there's, there's, there's a, there's a, yeah, a little a, bit, a little bit. Very, very, very way, easy way to sum it up. It's all, it was a bit shit, considering that you just had the buzz come off Royal Rumble with Drew and, like, literally, I remember us all talking about it before it all was sort of got a bit, you know, a bit dodgy. And it was like... yeah. I'm gonna. You, you were like, you're going up to Glasgow. I'm gonna have to be in Glasgow for Drew, like at the the party. And I think there was bagpipe pipers being talked about at one point. And I was sitting there going to hatch. We better be going to fucking Glasgow. I'm, I'm much. <laughs> I'm going to Glasgow. This is gonna be nuts. You know what I mean? And you know, and it was all. And then the pandemic hit. And then obviously, poor Drew had to do his championship win in front in the performance center of all places. In front of no fans. Yeah. I know he broke the full fall, which was awesome for those watching at home. How has things been for you 
in terms of just you in general, because obviously Touchwood, I hope everyone is, is near and dear is all right. Um, and two, what impact did that have to hook Tom? Well, those first few weeks were awful. I remember, I remember I was when I realized that this was going to have an effect. I'm a very positive person. I'm very sort of single-minded and I've got tunnel vision like you wouldn't believe. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. But I was basically putting my fingers in my ears and going, no, 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 no. We'll do like, there's no way that Vince McMahon will cancel WrestleMania. There's just no way. It just won't happen. And it obviously then happened of a fashion. Um, but it really affected me. I remember yeah, I was sitting in bed one night and just realizing that this was going to go tits up and um, and how much I'd invested an enormous amount of money into that event because it was the one, you know, like you say, it was Drew McIntyre going to WrestleMania, the big coronation. We spent a huge amount of money marketing, booking people, booking venues and logistics. And remember, it was only about three weeks before the show that this all went yeah. to hell in a handcart. So that money was all spent and gone. Um, and then obviously the pandemic hit properly. All the events were cancelled. And I was I was facing ruin, if I'm honest. Um, it was gonna be a really bad thing if 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 yeah, if everything if ever I'll have just had to give out refunds to everyone who bought the tickets and not be able to get any of that money back, it would have been absolutely dreadful. Luckily, we we go back to wrestling fans being awesome. And we said, we were honest with people and we said, look, if you want a refund, we'll give you a refund. But if you don't have to have a refund and you can roll these tickets on to whenever the next time we get to do an event, that would be enormously helpful. And the vast, vast, vast majority of people said either just keep the money or let's go, let's, let's roll around next time. And I won't, I, it saved, it saved Hooked on Wrestling. Like there would be no Hooked on Wrestling without that. And um, it was one of the most amazing moments ever. It was such an incredible feeling to know that all these people have got your back. Um, and it just, it was just incredible, incredible. So obviously we're going to make sure we pay that back over the coming months. You know, SummerSlam is going to be still under, slightly difficult circumstances it looks like but we're going to do our best um being a saturday doesn't help because it's much harder to get venues um for one but come next year come royal rumble it's going to be absolutely full bore again and we're i'm I'm desperate to get back you know it's been a it's been a funny old 18 months for me personally highs lows anger frustration a lot of good stuff as well the amount of time i've had to spend with my son and my family has been ace um, we're going to, I know you want to talk about the website and launching that with your husband, Chris has been just wonderful, um, bloody hard work, but, uh, <laughs> but really wonderful. So it's been, like I say, I just keep going back to how amazing wrestling fans are and we have all got each other's backs. And I think that's, that's so important to know. And I've, I've never experienced anything like that to that scale. And it was oh, I'm a bit choked up even talking about it now. Um, but it really, it, it was the, one of the most incredible things, and and yeah, we're still here. We're still now here now because of it, and we can roll back with SummerSlam. Roll on SummerSlam, definitely roll on SummerSlam. So I mentioned it briefly. Um, the Hooked on Wrestling website. Um, 
your number one source for news and all things wrestling related, I must say. But no, um, <laughs> it's it, that literally launched just before the pandemic hit. So, like as a journal, as a journal, really, how the hell do you report on wrestling when there's no wrestling going on? <laughs> Ask Chris. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> he most of it. No, in all seriousness, we we had aspirations to launch that website as a much bigger deal than it became because there was money coming through the tills then. Mm. So we, you know, we could have afforded to pay people and things like that and really make a go of it and launch. But obviously things changed with the pandemic and it came from a big project to a small, very committed passion project um, from you know, initially me and Liam and Chris, and then very soon me and Chris. And then, um, and then, if, you know, we've got a dedicated band of volunteers who dip in and help out where where they can. But really, it's, it's your husband who's the driving force behind the whole thing. It would have it would have ended within weeks or months if it wasn't for Chris's dedication. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, there's there's always something to report on, isn't there? You know, it's the wacky world of wrestling. There's always, if in doubt, just get some Melsha bullshit and rehash that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. So there's a. Uh, there's always something going on and um, uh, we can't, uh, frankly, we can't keep up with all of it. So we have to be quite selective. We try not to, in all seriousness, we try not to be too clickbaity. We try not to put in too much of the, you know, they, you know I'll get, I'll get pilloried for saying this, but a lot of what Melsa does is just spinning an opinion and presenting it as fact. And then people report on that as fact we try and avoid all that. We try and stick to actual news and you know really strong sources where we can. Um, so we like to think we might not be the most comprehensive in terms of number of articles you got, but I think we're, I think we're maybe one of the more credible ones in the UK. I don't think we're going for all the sensational stuff, um, and and I sort of hang my hat on that. Uh, so it's been a great, yeah, it's been great. Would I like it to be bigger? Absolutely. Would I like us all to make some money from it? God, yes. Um, especially with the hours we've put into it, but it is what it is. And who knows, who knows where it'll lead in the future. If nothing else, we're all having a good time with it. Exactly that. Exactly that. And then you've had the wonders of the Sunday night quiz. <laughs> oh yes. Who crazy one, idea was that? <laughs> uh, I suppose I'd have to take credit for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Look again, you remember what it was like in those first few crazy weird days of the pandemic and it just felt like we all needed to look after each other and mm. connect and and just put an arm around each other really and that's that quiz started as much for me as for anybody else like i just needed something to focus on i was very lost um you know i was on furlough for a month or so hooked on wrestling had gone away and i just needed something to to organize i'm an organizer sarah my wife, Sally, gets really pissed off because my idea of relaxing is just doing something else. <laughs> I have to be have to have a project all the time. Mm. Um, and that became my project. And it's, again, we've, we, we planned to do it for just a few weeks. And then we got into a bit of a rhythm. We moved it to Sunday nights with Rib, Rob, Chris and I and later AS. We got a little following. It's only very small, but very loyal and they enjoy it. And it just became a, a thing, really a really fun little community. We all get together like you know, to the point where one of the guys who plays it, I was around at his house last Sunday, picking up a set of wrestling York brewery beers. Wow. We've, we've done events together. We've, you know, I'm looking forward to meeting some of them in the flesh when the events roll back around, but it's here to stay. You know, it's again, it's one of those where I think it's, 
it's not a huge amount of work other than the hour and a half that we spend or three hours if Rob and Dina are doing it. Um, <laughs> but, um, but it makes a lot of people, a lot of people talk about as the highlight of their week, which is just awesome. And, and, and I think the three of us who or the four of us, should I say, who run it really enjoy doing it. Um, and why not keep it going as long as there's people interested in interested in playing along and having it part of their sort of wrestling habit, then, then we'll keep doing it. Cool. That's awesome. That's, that's always, a, always fun. It's back to weekly now. Obviously we've got the Euros done. Unfortunately didn't come home, but woke up, roll on, woke up, but exactly. We've got, um, it is on Sunday night, um, starting at eight o'clock. Eight. 8 p.m. So all you need to do if you want to play along, you just need to go to the Hooked on Wrestling Facebook page, um, which is facebook.com forward slash Hooked on Wrestling. 8 p.m. Look for the live video. That's all you need to do. We will talk you through the rest. And every week we give away a brand new T-shirt from WWE Euroshop. Not to the winner, because that is boring. We give it to a random uh, entrant who plays along for the whole night. So everyone, you've got, you got just as much chance as anyone else if you just participate. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Now, what are your hopes and aspirations for wrestling moving forward into 2021 and beyond? Oof, you're asking a big questions for a Friday night, Sarah. This is uh, this is uh, this is getting deep. Okay, so my my aspirations for wrestling. I I tell you what, I want more than anything, right? Apart from the obvious of wanting Raw to be better the fans to make a difference in the atmosphere. And so that's all very obvious and clear. But what I really want is to stop the nonsense, stop this tribal bullshit, AW fans, WWE fans. If you're an A, if you, if you identify as an AW fan, they can do no wrong and WWE can do no right. And vice versa. It's just bollocks, right? Our, our ethos, our tagline is it's wrestling. Enjoy it. And whether that is, Highly produced, internationally broadcast Monday Night Raw, whether it's AEW, whether it's a show with 30 people on, whether it's anything. You know, all you need is four sets of ropes, four ring posts, a canvas, a referee, and some wrestlers, right? Just let's just stop. Like, why do we need to sort of, bite at each other all the time and promote the negativity. And I suppose you could, what I'm saying now could reflect society as a whole, but we are better, right? I think wrestling fans should be held to a higher standard than society as a whole. Look at those idiots that ran amok at Wembley, mm. pure cretins, right? And that is a big part of the football fan base. I, I, you hear it talk about a minority. I wish it was a minority. It's not. It's there's a big chunk of fans. That is not what wrestling fans are. We are better than this pettiness and this tribalism. Let's be wrestling fans. Let's support wrestling. And if you like AEW better than WWE, fantastic. If you think Raw is the best thing ever and MGF is a MJF is a big fraud and Chris Jericho's past it, fantastic. But let's not make it us and them. Let's just all that's what I want to say. I want to see the nonsense end and us just be wrestling fans again. Good way to end. That is a good way to end. Mr. Benson, tell the world where they can find you on the internet if they want to go follow you, Hooks on Wrestling, or any of your podcasts. Tell the world where to find you. Well, you can find everything at hookedonwrestling.co.uk. Um, that is tickets, podcasts, news, everything else is there. Um, 
the best way to communicate and please do reach out and have a chat um, is Twitter. Um, you can get me on how Paul B or H O underscore wrestling. Um, ho wrestling. I should have thought that one through. Shouldn't I have put that together? But uh, but can't take it back now. Can't can't take it back now. Well, it's even it's even worse. I'm trying to think of a nickname for the fan base, and the only one I can think of is hookers, oh, which makes it just, just even worse. Hose, yeah. It's Hose not really working. Your <laughs> I'm rocking a hard place that one. Um, but yeah, go to the website and please, 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 if you're listening to this. Um, and you're a wrestling fan and you are comfortable being amongst other people and you want to connect with people again, then come uh, and join us at SummerSlam Sunday. Uh, sorry, Sunday. It's a habit, isn't it? Saturday, August 21st. You can go to hookedonwrestling.co.uk forward slash tickets to find which venues we're running at. Um, if we're near you, please, please, please come out and join us because it's going to be ace. Um, and Sarah, thank you very much for having me as well. It's been, I'd, I like talking about this sort of thing. You don't get a chance to talk about the ins and outs of it very often. So um, it's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you for your time, Paul. It's been a pleasure. How about that, guys? I told you it'd be a slightly different um, way of viewing the business. And it also shows you that there are many different ways that you can be involved in the wrestling business. Now, before I let you go, if you get five minutes, please do give us a like on the old social medias, Suplex Pod, all one word. Give us a review on the old podcasting platforms of your choice. And I will see you back here next week for another edition of the Suplex Podcast. Enjoy the week. <laughs>